You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church or service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. so tempted to say it again. (laughs) But we think we know all about kingdoms because we live in a kingdom. And you're probably familiar with that. That's the last night of the proms. And, you know, everyone gets their union flags out. It's a union flag, by the way. It's only a jacket that's on the ship. Um, But that's the pointless bit of information there. It's intended to make you think, oh, wow, the pastor's so intelligent. Well known. You know, well known. But... Have you seen this ever? Even if it's not your bag, you must have seen this and everyone will go, Land of Hope. Or this particular one is from when they were saying, Rule Britannia. You know the next line, Britannia rules the waves. How fantastic is that? How stirring and noble is that? Britannia rules the waves. Britain never, never, never shall be slaves. When we sing things like that and when we hear things like that, it kind of It kind of makes us remember, through all of the tyrannical threats of the last few centuries, right back to 1066, which is the last time that we were officially invaded. And Scotland wasn't even invaded then, so that's pretty impressive. But as a a United Kingdom, that's the last time we can say, well, hang on, somebody broke in there. Now, there's a few little bits in history about the English and the Scots, which we're not going to go into this morning for obvious reasons, you know. And I think you're still allowed to shoot an Englishman with an arrow on a Sunday if you want, so feel free. There's probably a little somewhere. Like every other kingdom on earth, our United Kingdom has a military, it has its own customs, its own traditions, it has its own flag, or flags in our case, because we've got one for each little part, each country within the United uh, kingdom. And like every other kingdom on earth, it has a geographical location. It has borders. And those borders might change. You know, I mean, we're looking at the possibility of that in a couple of years' time when we go for Indy Ref 2. You know, uh, the borders may change. What the country looks like might look different in 10 years' time. But we're familiar with the idea that it's a geographical location that has borders, and and borders can be transversed, they can be breached. Kingdoms, though less often these days, are actually ruled by a monarch. You know, I I don't think our queen actually officially rules, does she? She she can't make parliamentary decisions or anything like that, so it's almost like a a, a custom kind of thing that we love, you know, maybe. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that's a bit, but you get the picture, a kingdom is normally ruled by a monarch. But the kingdom of heaven is something altogether different. And it's something that Jesus says belongs to the poor. Because unlike the rich, the poor are not so preoccupied with other distracting things. They're, they're not under the illusion that they themselves are impressive. The poor realise And so the kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor. Jesus also says the kingdom of heaven belongs to the children, or to the childlike. Childlike people, because they're not governed by cynicism and distrust and criticism. They're not all snarled up from a lifetime of sin and guilt and shame and bitterness. 
So the, the kingdom belongs to the poor and to the, the children or the childlike. And, and Jesus spoke an awful lot about the kingdom of heaven beyond this. But interestingly, the first words that come out of John the Baptizer's mouth are, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So the first words out of his mouth are that the kingdom of heaven is drawing close. What's meant? What is meant by the kingdom of heaven? What's meant by the kingdom of God? What are we asking for when we say your kingdom come? What are we actually saying there? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? What does it mean for you and for me in this day, in these days, in this time? What does it mean right now, in this country, in this town, for the kingdom of heaven to come? Could you open your Bibles or electronic devices? No Candy Crush? <laughs> no, no Flappy Birds or whatever it is that you play. I don't even, don't even know what they're playing today. Not even Solitaire. Uh, go to, if you've got it on your electronic device, go to Matthew, and we're going to look first at Matthew uh, 3, 1 to 12. And that is going to come up here as well, if you haven't got a Bible. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who has spoken, who has spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So that's talking about John, that's who John is, the one in the wilderness, crying out, prepare the way for the Lord. And John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all through Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptised by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit. Well, there's a throwback to a few weeks ago. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Already we can see that this is a very different kind of kingdom. It's a kingdom that's come near. John, the herald of the kingdom, comes not with fanfare and fine clothes. He, he comes with some garment that's made out of camel hair. I mean, talk about stinky. <laughs> with just a leather belt to hold himself all together. And he's eating locusts and honey. He's not eating at the banquets of kings and queens. And he stands knee-deep in the Jordan and he's saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. And Jesus, when he first starts preaching, says exactly the same words. Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven has come near. There's something really important here that both John and Jesus, when they start talking, that's the first words out of their mouth, that's the first force out of the gate, if you like. That's the first thing they want you to understand, that the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, listen to this, and I'll try and go through this bit quite quickly, but in first century Palestine, this is after years of exiles and occupation and stuff like that, and there was an intensifying hatred of the current occupiers who were, at the time you well know, the Romans. And, and most Jews were eagerly anticipating and expecting a time when God would dramatically and definitively drive out the oppressors and grant them freedom in their land through the promised Messiah, the Anointed One. You remember Ian talking a couple of weeks ago about the, the anointing. And, and Jesus Christ means Anointed One. He is the Anointed, well, in our case here, King. And so when Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven has come near, he's saying, hey, here's the king. Here's the king. But the expectation was for a conquering king, kind of like David, the same type of king as David, you know, mighty, fierce in battle, would, would go and just destroy the enemy, uh, and would have songs written about him. Saul has killed his hundreds you know, his tens of hundreds and David has killed his tens of thousands and this kind of thing. Uh, you know, they're expecting this David-like king who would rid the land of this foreign rule uh, and, and give them, again, a position of prominence. That's what they wanted in his established kingdom. So they want the king to come, but they want a high position in their kingdom. And so when John and Jesus turn up stating that the kingdom is at hand, their ears prick up. They're like, ooh, this is interesting. I want to hear this. They've experienced these types of kings before, these kind of victorious, mighty kings. But to be honest, most of those kings have been lousy, at best. Downright evil, a lot of the time. Uh, and regardless of how these kings behaved and ruled, it was very clear that their, their role was supposed to be about outworking God's will, about making a kingdom that reflects God's character, that, that reflects his standards, that reflects his <coughs> law. That's what the kings were supposed to be doing. So in those days, the expectation was to have a physically present leader who was mighty, who would arrive with a fanfare and would militarily overthrow the oppressive rulers. And then he would stick around and rule over a bordered kingdom. That's what they were expecting. And their expectations are quickly dashed. As sometimes ours are when we think we know what the kingdom should be like. And, and Jesus just shakes it all up on us. Jesus redefines what it means. <clears throat> kingdom of heaven. Its approach, rather than being loud and violent and big fanfare, and <clears throat> its approach comes with humility and quietness. It was unobservable, almost. And Jesus himself says this, and then he goes on to say that, as well, it's not geographical, but it's in their midst. So the kingdom of heaven here we see is for the poor, it's for the children, and the childlike, and it's, it's going to come with humility, and it's in our midst, rather than being a geographically bordered kingdom. And Jesus says this, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God 
is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus challenges and changes their expectations about the kingdom. And, and we discover that the kingdom of heaven is something altogether different. Now, both John and Jesus are stating the kingdom is near. That's not near like this. It's not near like the kingdom's on its way. It's on the M9, but it's stopped for a cup of coffee at Acosta's at the service station. It'll be here soon. That's not the near that we're talking about. It's not the near like, like oh, you're, you're near to me right now, Derek. You and I are near to each other and I'm coming near. Actually, what it's saying is that, that the kingdom of heaven is here in our midst. It's near as in this. <laughs> Sorry, mate, you weren't expecting that. But that was a nice moment and I love that. Thank you. <laughs> and you've heard this before because Jesus is described by John as the word made flesh who made his home among us. So Jesus coming and saying the kingdom is near, is at hand. He's saying, here I am. The word made flesh and made his tabernacle, his tent among us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. That is the kingdom. And in Greek, the sense of the kingdom coming near means too close to ignore. The kingdom is present and is too close to ignore. Like John says, the axe is at the root of the tree. In other words, pay attention. Pay attention, this is important. And this is what John the Gospel writer is talking about when he says about the word becoming flesh. This is exactly it. The king is here to re-establish his rule on earth. Jesus is here, and with him is the kingdom. King and kingdom, inseparable and imperishable. Now, we're going to get heavy for a second. Here's Daniel 7, which is Daniel, the middle of Daniel. is quite a trippy little book if you're just trying to read that. But he says this, he has this vision, and he says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Now, if you're a Jew at this point in time, God doesn't share his sovereignty or his power or his glory. He doesn't share that with another. So the picture here is that this one who looks like a son of man is something different to man. He's like a king, but something different to a human king. He's, he's God. That's kind of the picture that we're getting here. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. Again, if you're a Jew, who can you worship except for God? That's blasphemy right there. And yet his, this one who's like a son of man being worshipped with power and authority and sovereignty. And it goes on to say his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. It's imperishable. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. <laughs> the kingdom is God's reign and rule. That's what the kingdom is. Being re-established amongst men. When you pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. What you're saying is this. Your ways are better than mine. Have your way. Your wisdom is higher than mine. Have your way. 
Your decisions are better than mine. Your choices are better than mine. Your actions are better than mine. Your intentions are better than mine. Have your way. And the good news is that this can bring comfort and peace. The gospel is that this can bring comfort and peace, but also turmoil and fear, and it depends on this. Do they want the king or not? Because if these people that Jesus is talking to don't want a king, then it's turmoil and fear, because he's one who's going to be king. He doesn't care what anyone thinks, whether people like him or not. You know, whether people are going to vote him in to parliament or whatever. He's not fussed with all of that stuff. He is king, and he will be king. So, so either the Pharisees can say, I want a king, and then have peace through that, or they can say, no, we don't want a king, or this king, and then there's turmoil and fear because he's already here. And in reality, this is a kindness of God because look at the years of these kings that have come and gone and they've been awful, mostly. And look at even the fact that when the first king was established, God said to Samuel that the people have rejected me as their king. They want a king to look like the nations. They want to look like everybody else around them. And because of that, they want a king because every other place that borders them has a king who's a human. So they want the king. They reject God as their king in favour of having a human. Wow. And yet he gives them another chance. All the kings were so flawed. But God sends his own son. Perfect king. In faithfulness. Fully human and divine. Able to judge with fairness. Able to rule with justice. Able to save in kindness and love. That's my king. He's, he's not flawed like a human king. He's not going to make mistakes. You look at the monarchy in this country over the last 20 years, and you can see mistakes. I, I mean, personally, I can bear my colours to the mast here. I love having a queen in the country. I, and I think the queen's a rock star anyway. I think she's amazing. But, you know, I kind of love that. But, but that's not to say that over the last hundred years there haven't been huge mistakes and issues that have gone on. Because they're human. Because they're people and they mess it up. And any Prime Minister that we get... Edit. <laughs> <laughs> any Prime Minister that we get at the minute, that whoever it is, is going to be flawed. And at some point we'll let you down completely. And at some point you'll completely disagree with them, be angry with them think they're ungodly, whatever it is, because they're human, and they're the same as you. But God establishes his throne where his throne wasn't welcome. It's like Isaiah says, in love, in love, a throne will be established in faithfulness. A man will sit on it. A man will sit on it. One from the house of David, who, uh, one who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of uh, righteousness. Now, this good news can bring comfort and joy to you, but it can also bring turmoil and fear to you, and it's the same question. It depends upon whether you want a king or whether you want to carry on ruling and reigning in your own life. So, if you want joy and peace, accept the rule of the king, 
if you want turmoil and fear and anxiety, accept your own rule and say, thanks very much, but I'm going to do a better job than you. That's what you're saying, effectively. To reject God's authority, you're saying you can do it better. How's that going for you, by the way? Yeah, true. Are there ways that you could be rejecting God's rule in your life in favour of fitting in? Because that was the issue. They, they wanted to have a king like the other nations. They didn't want to just have God rule. They wanted a king like the other nations. And even when Jesus arrives, part of the reason they reject him is because he's not this sword-wielding kind of guy who's, who's going to storm into Jerusalem and, and, and destroy the Romans and push them out of the country. He's not going to do that. And so they just reject him. No, we want this kind of king. You know that God has brought the kingdom near and is keeping it near at the moment so that we have the opportunity to turn and allow him to reign in our lives. He, he has brought the kingdom near so that, and, and is keeping it near and is holding back from finalising things to give a kindness to Bonas, to Scotland, to the UK, to Europe to the world. It's his kindness, it's his mercy. He's saying a little bit longer, a little bit longer, a little bit longer, let them come. You know, I often say, come Lord Jesus, and I particularly say that when, when I'm feeling like my life is miserable. You know what I mean? And you think like, wow, honestly Lord, you can just take me now, and I'm, I'm okay with that because I don't want to face tomorrow. I want to see you instead. And, and the thing is, it's his mercy that he's not doing that because if Jesus returned right now, how many people that I love dearly would not be coming because they are still refusing to accept his rule and reign in their lives. Now, I don't want to say, hey, hold off a minute, God, but I kind of feel like that. But also, that's kind of what we're saying when we're saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. Come on, Lord, please. A little more time. A little more time. That the people we love can be brought in. And by the way, there shouldn't be a differentiation in that between your friends and family and the people that are next door to you. Mm-hmm. If we love as Jesus has called us to love. And this is why the first words that come out of Jesus and John's mouth is repent now. We don't like this word. I'm not going to apologise for it this morning. <laughs> why do we need to repent? Because... The kingdom is God's rule. And a good definition is this, God's way of doing things. That's what the kingdom is, it's God's way of doing things. There's no scope within the kingdom for mavericks and vigilantes. There's there's, there's no space in the kingdom for you to ignore God's opinions and, and his intentions. There's no room in the kingdom for us to say that we know best. Or for us to determine our own destinies. I'm the master of my own destiny. God is so holy. And if you hear nothing else this morning, please hear this. God is so holy that if you stood in front of him in the fullness of his presence, I'm talking the fullness of his presence, with any hint of rebellion or arrogance, you'd be burned up. That's how holy God is. That none of us can stand Oh Lord, if you mark our transgressions, who could stand? And that's all of you and all of us. Anyway, it's this. 
just the way it is. We need something else there. So what, we, what do we need to repent from? Well, our sin. But there's another unpopular word right there. Sin is this. It's believing and acting upon the notion or life view that anything else other than God is sufficient for us. That's what sin is. Believing that anything else is enough other than God. Side note, the kingdom is so upside down. If you think about the UK, if you think about the USA and Australia, I think they have some of the, the, the toughest kind of immigration rules, almost of any other nation. If you look at these nations, there's a qualification that there should be to get in, to emigrate to that country, to become a citizen of that country. You have to hit a certain number of criteria. There are tests. You have to prove your financial stability. You have to prove that you have purpose and value. If you want to go work in America, you've got to prove that you can do something that an American can't do or isn't available in that place to do. Otherwise, forget it. So the whole emphasis in human kingdoms is you prove yourself. You be worthwhile. You make yourself worthy. You be a good person. Be a good citizen. The kingdom of heaven is so different. It says, come as you are. Be messed up. In fact, that's the only way to come. Because if you come to the kingdom thinking, I can show you how good I am, then you've already missed it. And the kingdom's already passed you by there. It's so opposite. And that's good news. It sounds like bad news. But it's good news because you can't hit the entry qualification for heaven. The bar is too high. You're not even going to pass the written test. That's how hard it is. And that's why this is good news, because God says, I'm going to change this upside down. And so your requirement is this. Be humble and recognise that you need someone else to get you into the kingdom. You know, if you try to justify yourself and be a good enough person, that's called sin. We all do it. We all do it in our social circles. I'm sure we've all done things that just try to fit in at some point. I used to teach classes of kids and I'll teach them about posture because how you posture yourself really makes a difference in how you mix socially. But if this is your posture, just looks sad and like, and, and that, that is sad. But the thing is that people tend to go, okay. And, and then what people do is they'll go towards people that are more like this. We all look at how we look and how we behave to try to fit in and sell the story that we're, we're good enough. You know? And that's why Jesus was okay with prostitutes, with thieves, with outcasts, but was so harsh with the religious rulers. Think about that for a sec. Because the religious rulers thought they'd hit the qualification and the prostitutes and the thieves, the downtrodden, the lowly, they, they knew. That's why the kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit, because they know I need help here. And if you're kidding yourself that you don't need help, well, you're kidding yourself. Because there will come a time. And these people knew they had no hope for Jesus. 
saying or even thinking that you're good enough is every bit as simple as not giving a flying fig about it. It's exactly the same as going, I don't care at all, I'm going to ignore this whole thing. That's the same, it's the prodigal sons, the two of them, the younger brother and the older brother, they were both, every bit is wrong. Both of every bit is in danger. And one of them, because he ran off and did his own thing and thought, I don't care, to heck with the whole lot. And the other one, because he was like, I'm doing this by my own power. I, I've deserved my place here, because I'm a hard worker. So how do we repent? And I'll go wrap it up pretty quick with this. Repentance means turning around. That's it. Recognising that you're heading in the wrong direction and adjusting course. How many of you guys are so stubborn with a sat-nav that you already know, I'm not sure this is the right way, but you just follow it anyway. And yet you know in your heart, actually, I should probably turn around and go a different direction here. And your wife's probably said it to you a few times as well. <laughs> it's true though, isn't it? Just trust the sat-nav. It will get you there. Sometimes it doesn't. And you knew all along, and then you feel like a prize plonker at the end of it, because you're like, well, I knew that I wasn't going to get to the destination I wanted to go, but I just couldn't turn myself around. If you are seeing this morning that you're heading in the wrong direction, just do this, just turn around. Just head in a new direction. That's what repentance is. Change your course. Do it like the poor. The poor who are not like the rich, they're not so focused on their wealth and the trappings and the beautiful baubles of this world, but, but they recognise there's something more valuable here. Be like the poor and put your focus in the right direction. Turn your focus around. Or do it like the children, so you know, become childlike, not childish. We're not asking for a church of childish people. How depressing would that be? How silly would that be? But childlike. In other words, we're not tainted. By cynicism, we're uncynical, we're unskeptical, and we're completely lacking self-reliance. Turn your cynicism around. That's repentance. Wherever God's will is carried out, his kingdom is reality. I'll say that again. Wherever God's will is carried out, the kingdom is a reality. If you want the reality of the kingdom present in your life, carry out his will. Now, you might well be thinking, well, I don't know what his will is. That's a legitimate point. And perhaps there are, there are some aspects that, sure, you're not going to perhaps hear that whispering, still small voice in, in details of your life. And, and perhaps you think, I don't know what God wants of me. I, I don't know what I should do in this. But let me tell you this right now. You know enough. You know enough. Uh, uh, you know to live in a way that's honouring to your wife. Or honouring to your husband. Honouring to your kids. Honouring to your parents. You know that that's how you should live. You, you know that you shouldn't be gossiping about people. Even if you do veil it as a share for prayer kind of need. You know that you need to keep your rage in check. And you, you also know that you, there are things that you shouldn't be looking at. Bathsheba in a bath. Hello. You know, there are things that you need to go, oh, okay, I'm not going to look in that direction. So you know enough to be able to follow God's will and purpose for your life. And as you do that in the little things, God will reveal more of the bigger things to you. He's not going to say to you, hey, I want you to go here and be this type of person and do X, Y, and Z. If you're not being obedient to him in the small things in your life, or at least 
this might, I don't know whether I want to say this or whether I believe it fully or not, but I think at least have the intention, because I find it so hard sometimes to really routinely everything give God his way for his will and purpose in my life. Sometimes I wrestle with that. But if I have, my heart is intending to serve him, intending to, to follow his will, then I know that I'm in a place where God can use me. And his kingdom gains power in that kind of place. Uh, we don't really like our concepts of sin and repentance. They sound old-fashioned. They sound like hellfire and brimstone, don't they? They sound like that old-school preaching that labours guilt and shame on people. But I assure you, this is good news. Even with sin and repentance being used there. In fact, it's not good news without sin and repentance being there. Because here's the thing. In a nutshell, you are flawed beyond what you could ever repay. There is no way that you can measure up There is no way that you can earn enough. There is no way that you can do enough to stand next to God. There is no way. And we could argue all day long, that's probably not your fault. You were born with sin. You can't do anything about that. Your your whole nature is warring with you inside. But the good news is that God has made repentance a possible qualification to get into the kingdom of heaven through Jesus Christ. All you have to do is turn to him and say, I want to adjust the course of my life from following what I want to do, how I want to do it, to saying, okay, God, what do you want? And it starts in the heart, and that's enough. You do that, you say, God, I've been living my way, and I'm sick of that, because it's not going well for me, and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to live your way, and I'm going to need all the help I can get at that. That's enough for you to have a radically transformed life in that moment, to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit who brings power into your life in that moment. That's enough for you to change your destiny from being one of hell, which is without God, to one being heaven, which is with God. Now, God is present in his kingdom in this world. Look around the world. How messed up is it? How many hellish situations are there out there? And God's still here. If God withdrew himself from that, what would happen? That's hell. And, and so if you say, God, I don't want you, God, I don't want you, God, I don't want you, I don't want you to be a ruler in my life or in my kingdom, he's going to give you what you want. And he's going to allow you to live an eternity with your will. That's hell. But heaven is to live the eternity in his plans and purposes. I think I've, I've pushed this enough this morning, but we just bow our heads. I'm not going to...